no one ever, when I, when I, I preach about money or finances, stewardship, n- no one ever groans out loud but you just kind of feel like as a preacher that there's this internal groan, like there's this mumbling, like, oh, no. And then for first-time guests, I always wonder, are they thinking, oh, man, did we pick the wrong Sunday to be here? This guy's talking about money. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to relax a little bit. In fact, why don't you just take a deep breath? Let's, let's do it together. You ready? In through your nose, out through your mouth. One more time. Yeah, just relax. This is not a message about tithing or about you giving more. What this message is really about is how to look at and use money the way God wants us to see money and how he wants us to use it. Now, it may surprise you to find out that Jesus actually talked more about heaven or he talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. Did you know this? He, he sure did. And why do you think that is? Well, I think there are probably a number of reasons, but I'll tell you a couple of reasons why I think Jesus talks about money. Jesus talks about money and possessions because he knows that there's a strong connection between our money and our heart. I'll show that to you later if you don't believe me just on the surface. But he knows that there's a strong connection between money and the heart. And second, Jesus knows that most of us don't manage our money very well. And because of that, here's what happens. Money becomes a source of stress and worry in our lives. And listen, just the truth of it is, for some of us, money wrecks us. And so it becomes a, a, a source for problems and stress. But what the Lord wants us to do is to see money as a source of blessing and potential. So here's what we're going to do. In order to, to listen to Jesus talk about money, we're going to look at Luke 16, 1 through 13. And this is probably one of the most confusing most misunderstood stories, parables, or teachings that we have of Jesus in the entire New Testament. It's confusing. It's, um, it's most of the time, it's mostly called the parable of the shrewd manager. And uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to read it. I'm going to unpack it a little as we go along. But then we're going to unpack some principles that Jesus teaches us about how to see and use our money. Still with me? All right, do you need to take another deep breath before we start getting into the text? You think you're okay? All right, everything's gonna be all right. It's just money we're talking about. And you know the church ought to talk more about money. Not this church, but most churches. Jimmy, how in the world can you say that? I say that because it seems like there is a deal that the church has worked out with the devil. It's like the church has said to the devil, listen, we'll make a deal with you. You talk about money and sex and we'll talk about everything else. And so for the last 50, 60, maybe 70 years, while the church has been silent on sex and money, what's happened to the world around us? We are drowning in debt and porn. So I just want to tell you, 
that this is not the last time for a while that we're going to talk more about money. We're going to drag money out of the corner of darkness and bring it out into the light of God's truth. It won't be every week though, okay? <laughs> okay? All right, deep breath. Here we go. Jesus told his disciples, now I promise I'm not going to stop after every four words and explain some things, but I am going to stop and explain a couple of things here. I want to put this passage into context for you. Jesus is, is teaching a crowd of people, but he's talking directly to his disciples but in that larger crowd, you know, they get to hear as well. So Jesus is, is training up his disciples, but he's also teaching the crowd. And in that crowd, not just at the back, not somewhere in the middle, but down front are these religious leaders called Pharisees. They were kind of the main religious leaders of the day. They felt like they ought to have the best seats everywhere they go. So they're sitting down front where they can hear Jesus teaching. Um. Jesus and the Pharisees have a contentious relationship. They're, they're not buddy-buddy. Um, well, the Pharisees are just hypocrites. You know that word, right? Hypocrite? And I think it's unfortunate that we, we hang the word hypocrite on lots of people that don't really deserve to be called hypocrites. Um, if, if we judged everyone by the same standards that we hang that label hypocrite on, well, we're all hypocrites. Um, here's the deal. People are sinners. All people are sinners. All of us make mistakes. Now, what makes the Pharisees not only sinners but hypocrites is they didn't think they were sinners. And they felt like they could do or say anything they wanted to say. So they would teach you how to live, but then they would live the other way. I don't mean they were teachers teaching people how to live and they make mistakes. I'm going to tell you as a religious leader, as a preacher, we all are sinners. We all make mistakes. But these guys were intentional. They were intentionally saying, this is how you live, knowing they're going to live the other way. So Jesus gives a story that's a little hard for us to understand. We have to unpack it a little bit more. But the Pharisees were tracking with Jesus. They knew what he was, he was saying. They, they understood it. And I'll try to help you understand it as we go along. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Hey, I just got a, a, an Excel spreadsheet in my email and there are some problems here. There's some problems with the way you're, you're managing things. I, I want us to meet together. So he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. This guy's in trouble. He's been mismanaging his master's money, the rich man's money, and he's going to lose his job for it. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? 
probably still in his boss's office. What in the, what in the world am I, I going to do? The master is taking away my job. And by the way, the master is, is not just taking the guy's job away. He's just doing the paperwork. This manager already fired himself, right? Hey, hey don't project your problems or your faults onto someone else. This guy is going to get fired, but he has it coming. Which just adds to the confusion of why Jesus is telling this story. What am I going to do now? I'm going to lose my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I got a 50-year-old back. I'm not a 20-year-old man. I can't go back to digging ditches and I'm too proud to beg. I don't want people to know I'm having to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He starts to think, okay, I need a fallback plan. I need a security net. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. Hmm. He kept a customer list when he got fired. Kept all of his Microsoft documents, maybe his laptop. He asked first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Now, you have to remember that these people live in a a farming, agrarian society. So in their day, in their time, most people didn't have cash money or coin money. So they, they used olive oil, which was very expensive. Uh, they would use olive oil or wheat or goats or sheep. They would use those as cash. 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly. This is a one day only offer. You got to do it right now because the boss is coming down on me. Uh, sit down quickly and make it out for 450 Now, that's where you should go, ooh, that's a bad thing. Well, it's a bad thing if you're the rich man. This really cuts back on your accounts receivable, cuts this guy's accounts payable in half. So he's pretty happy about it. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. So the manager told him, take your bill and make it 800. Hmm. He's doing business under the table. He needs some cash and he needs it pretty quickly. He's also trying to make some friends because this guy might go into business for himself. And they, these, are, these are people that are gonna be happy with him. These are people that'll do business with him. Look at verse eight. The master commended what? He commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted so shrewdly, which doesn't mean ugly or nasty. It means he acted wisely. It it doesn't make sense. Okay. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Mm. Keep that on the back burner of your mind. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, 
you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. If you're taking notes, underline those two words, eternal dwellings. Jesus is talking about heaven. He's talking about eternity. Verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, guys, you see what Jesus just did here? He drew a distinction between what it means to really have wealth and what riches truly are and what we think of as riches and wealth. Do you see that? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, if you can't be trusted with smaller blessings, you can't be trusted with higher blessings. And then Jesus wraps up this part of the teaching in verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I want you to think back to those Pharisees. The Pharisees are a part of the merchant class. They're part of the, the wealthy. How do you get wealthy when you're a religious leader? Well, you have to be a crook. It's like Harry Truman used to say when he was in office. If you go into office as a politician, a poor man, come out a rich man, then you're a crook. You got rich making deals under the table. These Pharisees would do this kind of thing all the time and they got, they got rich on it. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's telling a story about a dishonest manager, a crook, that Jesus turns into a hero because he knew it would drive these Pharisees crazy. Why? Because it would be convicting to them. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you guys are crooks. So how are we supposed to understand the story? I mean, how, how do we get our minds around this? Well, first of all, you need to know that Jesus is not praising this man's dishonesty. He's not saying that his dishonesty was a good thing. He's praising his shrewdness, his ability to survive, his, his ability to think and to scheme and to come up with another plan. And secondly, Jesus is saying that while this guy doesn't do everything right, he does a few things right. And he's saying that there are some things we can learn from this man about how to manage our own money. How many of you have heard of Warren Buffett? Just a show of hands. Should be all of us, most of us. Uh, how many of you know him personally? I don't know him personally. He may be a, a, a great guy, he probably is. I've seen him in a number of interviews. I've read his books and things like that. Um, I, I don't know if he's a godly man. I don't know if he's, he's a Christian or not. But whether he teaches Sunday school every, every week at his home church or not, whether he's a godly man or not, he certainly knows some things about money, doesn't he? So could we all agree that we could learn something? I mean, other than the billionaires in the room, could we all agree that we could learn some things about managing money from Warren Buffett? 
Jesus is saying the same thing about this dishonest but shrewd manager. Jesus is saying there's some things we need to learn. Hey, look, if we were being completely honest, most of us in this room, most of us listening right now, because maybe you're not live in this room, maybe you're listening to this message out on our podcast, but most of us would have to admit that we haven't done a very good job with our finances. Some of you have, some of you haven't. And for some listening right now, it's a mess. Most people, it's like 85% of the people living in the United States and Europe live from paycheck to paycheck. Most of us listening to this message right now, we have very little, if any, retirement set back at all. Most of us listening right now don't have an emergency reserve of cash sitting back so that if the AC unit went out on your house today, you'd have the money to pay for it. Instead, it it would mean that financially things just start coming crashing down on you. Listen, that's not the way God wants us to live. That's a stressful, tough way to live, full of worry. God doesn't want us to live that way. So what most of us need is not really a financial advisor. We need financial transformation. If most of us were being honest, we need for God to change the way we look at money and how we use it. So if you haven't already, take out your message notes and let's start learning how to see money and how to use money the way God wants us to see and use money. Now, before I tell you what you should do with it, I'm going to give you three things that you shouldn't do with it, okay? So three things you should not do with your money. Number one, you shouldn't waste it. Don't waste it. Say that with me. Don't waste it. You ought to even shake your head like that. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But a lot of us waste it. You know why? We have the misunderstanding that it's our money to waste. I'm going to explain this more in just a little bit. But the first thing you need to know about your money is that it's not yours. It all belongs to him. And once you realize what you have belongs to him, it changes the way you see your money. And it changes what you spend your money on. So number one, don't waste it. Number two, don't trust it. Don't trust it. Don't waste it. Don't trust it. Why? Because you can lose everything you have. That's what happens to this guy, isn't it? The manager. I mean, you know, one minute he's in a, he's in a meeting and everything in his life, everything on his financial chart is going up and to the right. He, he's living in the black. A few minutes later, he's standing in, in the boss's office trying to give an account for accounts he can't account for. And his boss says, you're fired. One of the important lessons here is that we should never put our trust and security in things that can be taken away from us. So don't waste it. Don't trust it. Number three, don't love it. Someone asked me after the first service, can we just like it a lot? (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've had money in life and I've been places in life where I didn't have any money. And I can tell you it was more fun to have money than to not have it. But you don't love it. The Bible tells us not to love money. 
Don't love money and don't live for it. Look back at uh, the story. Jesus uh, says in verse 13, Luke 6, 13, no one can serve two masters. Say that with me. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Notice Jesus doesn't say you must not trust God and money. He he doesn't say you shouldn't trust God and money. He says you can't. You can't trust God and money. It's impossible. What he's saying is, listen, you have to pick who you're going to love. You have to pick who you're going to serve. You have to pick who you're going to follow. You have to pick who's going to be your master. Okay, that's what we shouldn't do with our money. Now I want to give you four truths about how we should see our money and how we should use it. Now listen, I know some of you are looking down because you're writing notes. I love the note takers, so I'm gonna let you get right back to it in just a second. But before, before I, I get into the rest of this message, I want you to look at me. I can't look all of you in the eyes, but you can look at me in the eyes. I know that Hearing this and talking about this is uncomfortable for some of us. I get it. But you have to get over that. I mean, to deal with where you are financially right now, you just have to get over that. You can't keep pretending like your finances are not a mess. You just have to start where you are. Okay. The truths that I'm going to give you this morning are from the Bible. And so you have to decide, are you going to trust the Bible or not? Are you going to trust God or not? Because if you are going to trust him, you need to learn these principles and apply them to your life. And if you'll do that, it'll change your life. Look, it's not going to get rid of $40,000 worth of credit card debt this afternoon. That's going to take time. Maybe a miracle. But you need to learn a different way to do it. You need to learn God's way of managing that money. And this is a start. This is where you start. But the principles God teaches us here are life-changing. So here we go. Truth number one. Still with me? All right. Truth number one. Everything I have belongs to God. Everything I have belongs to God. This is where you start. This is where it starts. This means looking at the things I have and realizing that it all belongs to God. It's not my stuff. It's not my house. It all belongs to God. I can't tell you how many people I've had. I I think it's about 20, maybe 25 people who have come up to me this morning. And that's just in the first two services. So I figure I'll just deal with this right now. They've asked me, Jimmy, is that your RV parked outside the church? Now, I made a mistake in the way I answered probably the first 15 people of that uh, that asked me that question. I said, no, it's not an RV, it's a coach. <laughs> because Greg Wade sells those things and that is not an RV. Eddie couldn't drive that around. Cousin Eddie. 
That's a coach. That's a, some of you just got that, didn't you? Yep. If it was December, you'd know what I mean. That's, that's a coach. What I should have said is, no, that's, a, that's not an RV, that's a coach, and it, it's not mine. It's, it's one of Greg's company vehicles. He's just parking it here for a few days. But if I did own it, it wouldn't be mine. My things, my stuff, it's not mine. Look at uh, Luke 16, 1, very first verse. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now in the story, the rich man, the rich man represents God. The manager represents you and me. And notice that everything belongs to the rich man. He just trusted to the manager to take care of it. And, and guys, listen to me. Th- this is where we get off track. J- right at the beginning, this is where a lot of us just mess up. See, we want to be the rich man in the story. We want to own it all. We want to think we're in charge. But what Jesus is saying is that we need to realize that the stuff we're stewarding, the stuff we're taking care of is not our stuff. It all belongs to God. He simply gives it to us for the next 50, 60, 70, maybe 80 plus years. But it's his stuff. The reason we struggle with this is because we've we've been taught to look at things the wrong way. We've been encouraged by the world to, to think about money and possessions the wrong way. We've adopted the world's mindset of things, of stuff. And so we live by this motto, what's mine is mine. And what's thine is mine if I can get my hands on it. But none of it is our stuff. And, you know, I hate to be the, um, the preacher that uses the old cliches, but here we go. You can't take it with you. If you don't know that it's not yours now, you'll know one day on your last day, you'll know that the stuff you have is not really yours. You can't take it with you. You can pay it forward. We'll talk about that later. But you've got to get your mind right around this. Because listen, our wrong thinking, our wrong way of processing how we think about money and how we spend it has put us in the same place that most of the world is in, swimming in debt. And hey, listen, some of us are at the end of the treading water part. Some of us listening right now are about to go under. So you have to change that. You change the way you think about money. Our memory verse for this series is Romans 12, 2. It's in your notes. It's coming up on the screens behind me. And I want us to read it aloud together, okay? Can you do this? All right, with lots of um, Rocky River Church gusto. Here we go. One, two, three. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This series is about changing your life, which means changing the way you think. Here's how this works. 
You become what you think about. That's not just something Earl Nightingale or Zig Ziglar came up with. That is the biblical truth. You become what you focus on. You become what you think about. A thought produces an action. An action produces a habit. A habit produces the lifestyle that you live in right now. Want to change the lifestyle, change the thoughts. See how it works? Karen, I'm listening, honey. To you and the Lord, I'm listening. Insider joke. So this is where you start. You realize everything belongs to God. Here's truth number two. Money is a way God tests me. God uses money to test me. You don't like that? Well, that's the way it is. God uses money to test us in at least two ways. First, God uses money to test my heart. Money shows what I love the most. It really does. If, if you want to find out what you love the most, let me give you two places to check. First, check your calendar. Second, check your bank statement. Because where you're spending your time, your energy, and your money, that shows what you care about the most in your life. There's no way of getting around that. Second, God uses money to test our maturity, to see if we're growing or not. See, a mature person is someone who has his or her financial life under control. See, an out-of-control financial life is evidence of an out-of-control life. So if your finances are not under God's control, that's a sign that other important areas of your life are not under God's control either. Do you see how that works? Your money is a, is a maturity indicator. If you're having problems with your money, chances are you're struggling in other areas of your life as well. I want you to look back at uh, verses 11 and 12. These verses are like a summary statement of the parable that Jesus has taught. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth... Who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You see what Jesus does here? He makes a direct connection between how we spend our money and our spiritual maturity. I mean, it's there. Jesus is saying how we see and use our money determines how much the Lord can bless us. Now, Time out, time out, time out. Everybody looking this way. I want to make sure you hear what I'm about to say because I don't want emails or I don't want to see Facebook posts about this. I am not the guy who preaches that you can buy God's blessing and favor. That's not true. You can't. You can't. I don't believe that if you will give God $100 today, he will give you 1000 tomorrow. He might. I can tell you hundreds 
Uh, Literally, I could tell you hundreds of examples. I could give you dozens of those examples from my own life and from my father's life where God has given, multiplied, pressed down and running over everything that they've ever given to the Lord for his work and his service. But that's not the promise. The promise is in Malachi 3 verses roughly 10 through 12, where God says, if you'll make sure my house has enough, if you'll make my house your priority, I'll make sure, listen to this, you can't build enough barns to hold all the blessings that I give to you. The Lord's saying, you put me first and I'll take care of you. You can bank on that. But I'm not saying that you can buy God's favor. And what Jesus is saying here is, I'm gonna give you some worldly possessions to see how you handle those, to see how you manage what I give you. And if you manage what I give you well, then I'll give you some other things to manage that matter for all of eternity. Here's truth number three. Money is a tool for God's purposes. Money is a tool. Just like most tools, you can use it for what the tool's made for or something else. Like most tools, you can, use, you can use them for the right things, the wrong things, for good things and bad things, like a hammer. You know what a hammer is, right? You can use a hammer to build something, right? Know what I mean? Hammer, nails, wood, carpentry. You can use that same hammer to destroy what you just built. See what I mean? Money can work the same way. Listen, money is value neutral. I hear people say all the time, money is evil. Money is not evil. Money is value neutral. You can use money for good or bad. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil. It says the lust or the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is value neutral. You can use it for good or you can use it for bad. Look back at um, Luke 16, 9. See, the best use of our money is helping people get to heaven. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth. If you're taking notes, underline those words. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will become welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, listen. Jesus is saying that like the dishonest manager made friends that he could count on for the future, his future here on earth, you know, houses to stay in, Jesus is saying we can use our money as a tool for making spiritual eternal friends. Now, once again, once again, I want to make sure you hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can buy salvation. You cannot. The price For the forgiveness of your sins has already been paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. Forgiveness of sins, eternity in heaven comes to us only as a gift from God. That's that's period. You you can't earn it. You can't be good enough to earn it. If, If being good was enough to get you into heaven, my wife could earn it. But all of us are sinners. No, none of us can earn it. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you can use your money as a tool 
to help people meet Jesus. Our money can be used to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the next couple of verses in your notes. Matthew 16. Jesus tells us, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, uh, treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Underline that. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this afternoon, going to be an exciting afternoon. We have a, a cookout for the volunteers at Rocky River Church and our community table. It's a cookout. So anyone, anyone who's volunteered, you know, we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks and emailing it out and it's a volunteer lunch. It's just a way of saying we love volunteers. Thank you for all that you do. That's going to be fun. And we're eating hamburgers. And uh, I don't see Gene Whitley in here. So I think that means he's outside on the grill. And so it's going to be a good afternoon. You eat one of his hamburgers, you'll know what I mean. Anyway, going to be good. But before we get to that, we're going to have a baptism. We have, I think, five people who are going to be baptized today. Now, you have to be careful when you do stuff like I'm about to do, when you do something like I'm about to do. Um, you have to be careful when you start comparing yourself, comparing yourself to other people, comparing yourself to other churches, comparing yourselves to other preachers. Preachers, we have to be careful of this all the time. I mean, it's like with Stephen Furtick at Elevation Church. Elevation's a great church. Pastor Steve, uh, Stephen Furtick, great guy, great pastor. But I have to be careful when I compare myself to him because I, he and I can't shop in the same places. I can't wear skinny jeans. He looks great in skinny jeans. He can wear tight muscle shirts. I can't. You have to be careful about how you make comparisons. So after saying that, I'm going to make a couple of comparisons. You know, so we have five people to baptize today. But if the rest of this year goes like most years have gone over the last 20 years, we'll baptize between 40 and 50 people. So you didn't say amen there or praise the Lord. So may, maybe you will after I give you some perspective on that. The average church in the United States this year will baptize less than two people. The number works out to 1.6. So to baptize between 30 and 50 people in a church year puts us in the top 20% of churches in the United States for baptism. So you can say amen. So here's, 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 what, here's, here's what that, that does. It's, it says a few things. It says the Lord is good because the preacher's not. It says the Lord is good. It says the Lord's at work. It says that what has been, what, what was our target in the beginning 20 years ago when we started Rocky River Church is still our target today. What did Jesus call us to do? 
He called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. So our goal has never been to just move people from aquarium to aquarium or to circle up and just be so protective. of Our, our target is to reach people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we do that. We do that. And so again, this year we'll baptize between 40 and 50 people. And that puts us in a category that churches three and four times our size are not in. So what does that mean to you and me? It means that whenever you give your tithes and your offerings, whenever you make sacrificial givings, you're storing up your treasures in heaven. You are investing your finances in things that last for eternity. And, and listen, that means directly and indirectly. You know, for example, we support, we support a missionary family in South Africa that are reaching people we will never meet here on this earth. But one day when we get to heaven, there'll be this reunion where we get to meet people that have come to Christ through that South African mission that we never even met, that we didn't even think that part of our tithe and offering, I mean, we see it in the budget, but we don't really think that part of it goes to support that ministry there and the people they're reaching. That's investing in eternity and that's the best use of your money. Here's truth number four. Hey, I tell you what, before we get to truth number four, let me, let me give you some perspective. Greg, are we baptizing you this afternoon? Okay. So a few years ago, Greg had this dream to start a ministry feeding and caring for homeless people or people who are struggling, people who are in need, people who need help. So it, it, it took a while, but the Lord, the Lord is making that happen. And those of you who are involved in this ministry, our community table, you, you know that it is. What, what may sometimes get lost in that, if you're a volunteer, what, what may sometimes get lost in, in the fact when you hear the numbers on a Sunday, when we say, hey, we fed 600 people yesterday or gave out oodles and oodles of clothes, you know, whatever the, the number turns out to be, what gets lost in that is that we're not just being nice. It's not just about being good. It's not just about offering a meal. In, in a world where people think the church is on the take, it shows the world that the church is on the give. Hey, that's why I hate fundraisers. I hate them. 
We let the scouts do them. Sometimes the girl scouts do them. We've done them before for students, but I just want to tell you, it's always under protest. I hate fundraisers because I think fundraisers imply that the vision of what you're doing has been lost. The vision for our church The vision for our community table is not to just be kind. It's to show people the love of Jesus in a practical way. Something they put on and wear. Something they put into an empty belly. It's it's serving people in the best way you can when they're not used to being served by people who don't owe them anything. Just want to show the love of Jesus in a practical way. But it is all about helping people know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because think about it. Think about it. How cruel would it be? How cruel would it be to give a hungry person a piece of bread and not tell them about the bread of life? How cruel would it be to feed someone a hamburger, which I think are hamburgers and hot dogs on the menu for next week, next Saturday. I think they are, aren't they? How cruel would it be to give someone a beef hamburger or a pork hot dog? I think they put pork and hot dogs still. But then not tell them about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see? Hey, when you give your clothes... When you give to support ministry, you're not just given to be nice. You're not just given money that goes into an account somewhere and who knows what happens to it. It's all about reaching people with the gospel. Here's truth number four. I got to hurry. If I'm faithful with a little, God can trust me with more. I want you to say it with me. If I'm faithful with the little, God can trust me with more. That's what Jesus means when he says in Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And this principle applies not not just to your money. It applies in every area of your life. So think about it like this. You have a little bit of talent. Most of us don't see ourselves as talented. We are, but, but everybody has a little bit of talent. Use it. Everybody has some influence. Leadership is influence. So you have someone in your life that you're influencing. Listen, even if it's just your kids at home, Olivia, Michael, the most important influence you'll ever have is influence over your babies. So start there. Influence where you have influence. Don't wait until you're uber talented to start using your talent. Use what you have now. Don't don't wait until you have lots of influence. Start using what you have now because whatever you use wisely, you can expect God to multiply it. Look at this last verse in your notes, Matthew 25, 29. Jesus says, for whoever has been given more, I'm sorry, 
For whoever has, this throws me off every time. There should be a comma after has. There's not one in the, the new international version, but there ought to be. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I want you to have abundance in every area of your life, but you have to use well what God has already given you. Faithfulness in little ways produces fruitfulness in big ways. So you don't wait until you're uber talented to start using your talents. You don't wait until you have a lot of influence to start using your influence. You don't wait until you're wealthy to start giving your tithes and your offerings. You start tithing when you're poor, when you're struggling. That's how you get out of poverty. I was in a convenience store this week and uh, recognized a guy in there that I know. He, he doesn't come to Rocky River, but we've just lived in this community for a long time. And uh, he was buying lottery tickets. I can't remember what the lottery was up to, but it was like 85 million. And... Uh, he, he goes to a different church, and, and the church he goes to, the pastor there is a buddy of mine. And, uh, and me and this guy have a good relationship. But he said, preacher, pray for me. Pray for me. If I pick the right four numbers, I'm going to give a tithe check to your church. Now, he's talking directly to me. But he's also talking to the Lord. He's bargaining with the Lord. Lord, you give me the right four numbers here. You give me that 85 million, which I didn't have the heart to say, look, it's not going to be 85 million. It's going to be like more like 55 to 60 million once they take taxes out. But I'll take a $5 million tithe check on it. <laughs> but what he's saying is, Lord, you let me win this lottery and I'll give you a tithe check. Now, I didn't say this. But what I'd like to say to him, and when, I, when this service is over, I'm going to text him and say, hey, I want you to listen to today's podcast. What, what my buddy is trying to convince me, and it doesn't matter if he convinces me or not, but what he's trying to convince God and himself of is, Lord, you let me win $85 million, and I'll start being generous. I'll start honoring you with my money. So I didn't say this. I wouldn't say this. Not my place to say it. He can laugh about it later. What he's expecting God to believe is he makes $1,000 every week in his paycheck, but he doesn't write God a check on that. He doesn't tie the $100 off of what he's already gotten. But he wants to believe and he wants to convince God that while he won't write a $100 check or a $50 check or whatever his tithe should be for that week, he wants God to believe that he will write him one for $8.5 million. I don't think God buys that. I don't think God's in the lottery business either. But I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. You, you don't say, Lord, you start blessing me, I'll start living for you. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. I want God's blessing on your life like I want it on my life. But to have God's blessings, we have to do life his way. Don't be conformed to the thinking of this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. Let's stand together.
and you can leave your purse and stuff like that. Just leave, leave that where it's at. But once you're standing, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Because before I pray, I want to ask you three or four questions just to think about. Before we pray, I want you to do some business with the Lord. Now, I don't want you to answer these questions out loud because you don't answer to me. We're all going to answer to God one day. We're all going to go in the boss's office and give an accounting of our lives. But this is between you and God. And by the way, he already knows the answers. So you're just being honest with yourself. So does God really have first place in your life? I've been wrestling with this question the last couple of weeks. You should too right now. Does God really have first place in your life or is something else first? Is someone else first? Are you managing your money well? Are you managing your life well? Are you maturing? Are you growing as a follower of Jesus? Are you managing your money in a way that shows God that you can be trusted with more? Are, are you using your money to help people get into heaven? Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Not out loud, but in your mind, in your heart. And say, dear God, I don't want to waste what you give me. I don't want to waste my talent. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my energy. And I don't want to waste my money. I don't want to waste it, love it, trust it, or live for it. And you, you might need to have a time of confession here where you say, Lord, in the past, I, I haven't done a good job at managing my money. I've messed up. And I realize that the consequences of that are not going to go away today. But I'm, I'm asking you, God, to help me from this day forward to remember that everything I have, it belongs to you. And since it belongs to you, I want to use it in a way that honors you and makes a difference in the world. I want to use everything you trust me with in such a way that you can trust me with more. And I want to use some of it to help other people get into heaven. And God, you said that where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. So I want to give you my heart today. I want you to take my life. Jesus, I don't understand all of it, but as much as I know, as much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life to be my savior, to forgive me of my sins, but also to be my Lord. I want a relationship with you, not a religion, a relationship. And I want to learn how to know you and love you and serve you and feel your love. And Lord, now I pray 
over every person here. I, I pray over the families, over the people that they represent. I pray for the struggles that are represented in this room. I pray, I pray over marriages that are struggling. I pray for those who are struggling with loneliness. Lord, I pray for those who feel so uncomfortable right now because their finances are in such a mess and they feel like they're in debt prison and they wonder if they can ever get out of it. I pray that you would give them hope, healing, help. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for a place to serve. Thank you for all those who serve so faithfully. Thank you for the the tithes and the offerings that will be given today. We pray that you would multiply them, use them to benefit your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would bless not only the gift, but the giver as well. Jesus, we pray in your great name. And those who agreed said, amen. Hey, listen, so we're gonna, we're dismissing, but I'm going out to the baptistry. And so we have some other folks that are gonna be joining us out there. I hope you'll stay for the cookout. Either way, I wanna make sure that you go out to the patio for baptism and um, you're dismissed here. We'll close there in prayer.